0: The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddihy with Nissan on News Talk. A century ago today, Frank Aiken was the chief of staff of the IRA, and he signalled what, well, some describe as the end of the Civil War. Others may be only at the beginning of the end. Uh, but he said, "Comrades, the arms with which we fought the enemies of the country are to be dumped. The foreign and domestic enemies of the Republic have, for the moment," Prevailed, And whether you consider this, as I said, the end or the beginning of the end, it certainly brings us as a country close to the end of that decade of centenaries that started with the Home Rule crisis in 1913 through to the rising, the War of Independence and then the Civil War. And we want to look back now on, on whether we can consider that decade of centenaries a, a popular success. Uh, Conor Mulva, the uh, lecturer and associate professor in uh, modern Irish history in UCD, is with me, as is Dr. Mary McCall, of director of gender studies in UCD. You're both very welcome to the show, folks. Conor, I, I, before we talk about the decade of centenaries for a moment, can I just ask about... Uh, today's centenary. Um, uh, this message from Frank Aiken uh, to his uh, his uh, uh, his followers in the IRA. I mean, do do you consider that the end of the Civil War? Uh, thanks, Kieran. I suppose like one of the things about the Civil War is that it doesn't
1: end, and I think this really puts uh, an important point to us around history in general. That you know, it's important, obviously, in Anniversary culture and commemorations that we do have some kind of a definable endpoint to these things, but obviously you know one thing leads to another. There's internees in Ireland right the way through 1923 into 1924. The Public Safety Act in the South, which very much mirrors some of the draconian legislation of the Special Powers Act in the North, is only enacted in the um, in the late summer, early autumn of 1923, and over uh, six thousand IRA hunger strikers go on hunger strike in October of 1923 so uh, I suppose unfortunately and otherwise we can't say that the civil war ended but we can certainly say that Aiken's dump arms very much brought an end to I suppose active or let's say centrally organized hostilities in the Irish civil war so yes a significant date in one sense but also a date that I think probably speaks more to the state narrative than the realities of the conflict.
0: And uh, the 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 broader than centenary or decade of centenaries uh, that that we have have been through. I mean, it, it, I was going to ask the, whether we we can consider it a success. I guess we have to, to consider what what are the aims of it before we can judge and assess whether it has has been a success. So, I mean, what were the aims of it in your mind?
1: Um, I I suppose it's not really for me to to define whether it was success or not. I think that's probably down to the public. But in terms of the aims, I think one of the central aims was to reinterpret uh, the events of a century ago and to contextualise them both within each other. So writing Ireland's First World War into Ireland's revolutionary experience, writing in gender, class, uh international aspects of it and um, i think to a certain extent one of the things certainly i was trying to do in ucd was to globalize the events of ireland 100 years ago so whether it was writing about indian law students who were resident in dublin between the lockout and the rising or whether it was writing about i suppose the international elements of the 1916 rising and um, that's been a really successful element of this, I hope, I think anyway, um, and I think in a more broad sense it's the reinterpretation, it's the broadening out of, of I suppose, historical research to the public, and I think one of the legacies of this decade would be, one, the increased public interest we have in history, not just the history of this period. But secondly, the access to sources that the public now have from the military service pension collections and the Bureau of Military History, right the way through to, I suppose, the census, which is now so embedded, and IrishGenealogy.ie, which is a really, really important resource, not just for the revolutionary decade, but for all mm. of our histories. Uh, and that came on during the pandemic. So I think it was probably one that was under the radar a little bit. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a golden age for history.
0: Yeah, your, your UCD colleague, Mary McAuliffe, is is with us as well, as I said. Uh, Mary, did, do you think we did a good job of, of that work of reinterpretation?
2: Well, I think it's an ongoing job of reinterpretation and it's not going to end Uh, with the ending of the decade of centenaries, it's going to actually, it's only just starting, really, Uh, it's going to take another decade or two to work through all of the um, new materials we have. There's another uh, release coming from the military pensions files, and that's tens of thousands of pieces of material that will take a, a lifetime to work through for any historian. But it also, as Connor said, it's the broadening out. So lots of people are getting very interested in different aspects of the revolutionary period be it gender or class or revolutionary sexualities or radical politics or the globalization or you know lots of different aspects of of the revolutionary period that really people are only beginning to look at and and one thing I think that was very very important during this decade of centenaries was the uh, democratization of our history in that it moved out of the academy and academia, and people like myself and Connor uh, ended up giving talks all around the country, going on podcasts. Uh, and so the the uh, experts, I suppose, as you would call us in the field, were uh, there with, with people in localities, talking to mm. them, listening to their histories, including those local uh, and oral histories in our own research and giving back then uh, with our research, and, and for me as somebody who, who looks at gender, particularly the gendered violence and sexual violence during this period, the War of Independence and Civil War, going around the country, except unfortunately when COVID impact, yeah. I got stories that weren't in the records. Like, I found a lot of material in the records. but There's also stories that had been passed down in families, and people, uh, you know, individual family members were, mm. were questioning their, their old relatives were looking... Uh, at materials like the census records, like the military pension files and finding out if their granduncles or mothers or fathers or, uh, you know, had been involved in the revolutionary period, what they did, because you can hear the voices of the people themselves in those those pension files, which it, is
0: extraordinary. It did, because I, I do remember kind of at the outset of it, one of the concerns people had, and I say this with, with all due respect to two academics, but that it would be kind of academics talking to each other or kind of official <laughs> Ireland talking to each other. That's what the decade of, the, the decade of centenaries uh, would turn into. You, your experience, Mary, would suggest uh, it was no, successful guess, in that not happening.
2: It was very much successful in that happening. And credit is due to the expert advisory committee in advising the government to fund local, um, research, uh, and local commemorations and let local people take leadership in those commemorations. I mean, a few of the mistakes that were made were really when, um, that, that local commemoration wasn't, um, adhered to, like the, the decision to commemorate the, um, the RIC, um, which uh, was sprung on from the top down rather than the grassroots up. Mm. And, of course, um, without, uh, with, with uh, due regard to those who were very anxious to have that commemoration, it was, um, you know, a, it seems like an imposition and not something that was uh, well thought out. And a few things like that happened. But for the most part, I think it was dealt with sensitively. I think we had a great president, of the country Michael D Higgins throughout this decade of centenaries with his Moknov series and his keynote speeches at various points during the decade were sensitive were uh, ethical responding to and of course he, he spoke from experience within his own family mm. as well of vision uh, and and war and trauma and memory uh, and i think he provided that leadership as well along with the the, the expert advisory group and indeed, um, historians who went out into communities. And we all did that.
0: Yeah, it, 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 he certainly had a very genuine um, interest in everything that was, was happening in terms of those uh, celebrations and commemorations. Connor, the other concern I do remember as well that uh, people had was that it would be kind of become harder and harder to do this work, uh, the further we got into the decade, that that I, I, I know I'm yeah. going to be accused of grossly oversimplifying kind of the 1916 rising, but in people's minds, that there is a simple narrative that they can cling to, you know, group of individuals seize key parts of, of, of the city, stand off, kind of force to surrender yeah. by the Brits, they're killed, and that's the end of it. It gets more complicated, I guess, the legacy of partition and the powder keg that that created Uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, raised questions about how you commemorate and celebrate the War of Independence, for example. For some, that war never ended, put it that way, for some people on the island. And then the Civil War more complicated again.
1: Precisely. Like, it definitely did get more difficult as it went along. I think maybe when we reflect on this decade in, in a few years' time with a bit of time and space between it, one of the things we might look at is the impact the pandemic had on probably commemorating some of the trickier years, that they were probably a little bit more muted, um, and we were operating in, I suppose, a different contemporary environment than we were in 2016. But the point you raised there at the end about the North, I think, is a really important one. And again, this is one, I think, for the the public to judge us on as to whether we did give uh, sufficient attention to the partition question, um, to the whole question of what was happening in Northern Ireland from the Belfast pogroms, the deaths that occurred, particularly in Belfast, but across the new nation state of Northern Ireland between 1920 and 1922, just as that state was coming into being. Um, and I know like, uh, myself and Mary both uh, involved in cross-border commemorations as well. And I, I particularly wonder as to whether the sentiments about the decade of centenaries being, you know, central and being, I suppose, um, visible, were, uh, were echoed in the north. You know, there were, there were definitely very strong attempts, both at community and mm. to a certain extent at state level. But again, the suspension of uh, the power sharing executive in Northern Ireland has, I suppose, dampened an element of that. And I think particularly as we move towards 1925 and the centenaries of the Boundary Commission, I think uh, increased visibility and, again, reappraisal of what occurred in Northern Ireland, both in partition and the realities of life. In the six counties in the nineteen twenties, is something I think we should probably turn our attention to.
0: Yeah, because Mary, that that I mean, that is something of an open wound for many people in the north. With a view of history, is that the the accepted narrative, and I'm not accusing either view of, of this, but the accepted narrative in the south is one that they would absolutely not subscribe to.
2: Oh, absolutely, and I think yes, I, I would completely agree with everything that Connor said there. I mean, I, I think I think contemporary politics has affected how we have discussed the border um, and the creation of the two states on the island and what happened after that, because we didn't have the opportunity to to be in public a lot during that whole mm. uh, centenary period. But um, also, uh, with all the other types of histories we're doing, for instance, in my own research on violence against women, there's a huge spike in it in the spring and summer of 1922, north of the border, where it's, Decreasing south of the border, and there's all sorts of different reasons about that, and things we have, questions we have to ask, and why is this happening, including forcible hair cropping, when um, you have the orange order doing it, you have the Sinn Feiners doing it, you have the B Specials doing it, you have everybody doing it, and the victims are all female. So these are questions that we are still asking, um, and I think it's not just the border, but you know, being a Kerry woman, I have to, to, to question. Um, you know, how long more does the Civil War go on in Kerry? It certainly doesn't stop on this day 100 years ago. Um, And the violence continues on into September, October, November um, 1923, and indeed into the following year. So uh, the ending of violence and questions of when Civil War ends, and of course a lot of people say the dump arms was just about putting their arms away for another day. It wasn't about stopping violence. It was about waiting for opportunities when it may be more uh, successful to take up the arms again. yeah, um, And all of those questions we have to continue asking.
0: Well, for, uh, the, the, the what did I say at the start? The foreign and domestic enemies of the Republic have, for the moment, prevailed. And I think those three words speak to what you're talking about, for the moment, uh, Mary. Uh, listen, thanks a million for joining us. Dr. Mary McCall of his Director of Gender Studies at UCD, and Conor Mulva as well, who is an Associate Professor of Modern History in UCD. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Coddie. With Nissan. Weekdays from 4. On News Talk.